Welcome to the New Books Network. Welcome back to the New Books in Indian Religions podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Raj Balkaran. More importantly, today I have uh, the pleasure of speaking with Dr. Antonio Rigopoulos, pardon me, Dr. Antonio Rogopoulos, uh, who is Professor of Sanskrit Language and Literature at the University of Venice in Italy. Antonio, welcome to the podcast. Well, uh, thanks. Thanks a lot for inviting me. Yeah, so we'll be speaking about um, a, a, a fairly uh, fascinating uh, new publication, SUNY 2021 publication called uh, uh, the Hagiog- the Hagi. I can't speak today. I'm not sure what's happening. <laughs> the Hagiographer and the Avatar: The Life and Works of uh, Narayan Kastur. Um, so, uh, thirty thousand foot view. You know. How did you get um, how did you get into this field of research? I mean, maybe we should say a quick note that you study a particular movement, a particular figure, and their hagiography. But tell us about the journey of how you got into this 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 long uh, lived research interest of yours. Well, I first got interested in the so called Sai Baba movement uh, in my in my university days when I was an undergraduate. And um, I was very much interested in Indian gurus and um, saints at the time. And um, my professor of Indian philosophies, uh, Mario Piantelli, suggested that I should tackle um, the study of uh, perhaps one of the most popular uh, Indian saints uh, uh, in, in, in modern India and in contemporary India. And that was uh, Sai Baba of Shirdi. Um, and uh, in fact, I realized uh, very soon that the popularity of uh, Sai Baba of Shirdi was indeed uh, extraordinary in the, whole, in the whole of India. So that uh, prompted me to read and to study uh, more than I could on this figure. And eventually this brought me to India for my first field research that was back in uh, October, November of 1985 for my, for my BA thesis, really, which was about the life and teachings of Shirdi Sai Baba. And, uh, and, and of course, uh, dealing with the, the life and teachings of Shirdi Sai Baba, I was also intrigued by the figure of uh, uh, what was then the contemporary Sai Baba, that is the one that was considered to be in a way his uh, uh, reincarnation, that is perhaps uh, the one, the better known uh, Satya Sai Baba of Puttaparthi, who has been uh, quite popular and is still quite popular in the West, who was born uh, in, uh, in Andhra Pradesh and lived in the village of Puttaparthi uh, in, uh, in the state of Andhra. In fact, uh, Shirdi Sai Baba, uh, I forgot to say, um, um, hailed uh, from the village of Shirdi precisely, which is not not far from Bombay, in the state of Maharashtra. Whereas um, the the Satya Sai Baba um, practically lived and uh, established his own ashram uh, in uh, in in Puttaparthi, the village where he where, where he was born in 1926 which is uh, in the state of Andhra Pradesh. So uh, in a way, um, one thing brought me to the other. And um, along the years, I've been uh, constantly uh, searching and um, studying 
both uh, both saints, both Sai Baba Shirdi and Satya Sai Baba Puttaparthi, who in fact uh, um, died recently in 2011. And uh, of course, there are also uh, various other figures that are connected, especially with Shirdi Sai Baba, uh, which are considered uh, important in, in and of themselves. But um, basically, uh, this is this is what brought me to 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 study the the Shirdi Sai and Satya Sai movements. Uh, it was something that originated uh, during my undergraduate years back in the eighties, and it was prompted by my BA thesis. Um, I actually had the good fortune of doing some advanced Sanskrit training in Pune in uh, I think this was twenty twelve. Uh, which of course is in Maharashtra, and while there, I, I certainly came to learn of the the the, the enormous impact, uh, relevance of um, of uh, Shirdi Sai Baba, and and uh, another fascinating figure that we could talk about a bit later in the podcast, which is uh, this uh, this uh, deity Dattatreya. Uh, yeah, enormous uh, following in the Maharashtra. Um, and um, of course, I was engaged in textual study, but I couldn't help but do a little bit of armchair ethnography while I was there. Um, so yeah, huge, huge figure. Say a bit more. I mean, there, there will be listeners who are very well acquainted with such a Sai Baba, perhaps even um, part of that movement. And there will be those in a more general audience who may not have as much exposure to him. So could you say a little bit more about his life or impact or following? Well, as I said, he was born in 1926 and he presented himself uh, at the age of 13 or 14 as being the reincarnation of the Shirdi Sai Baba. So in fact, uh, um, this was the claim he put forward when he was a teenager and he established his own uh, authority and, 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 and uh, guruship uh, mainly through his uh, charisma, that is through his uh, uh, alleged uh, powers uh, that is what uh, made him uh, especially famous uh, around uh, around uh, Andhra Pradesh and later throughout India and even uh, beyond India. The fact that he was considered um, a great miracle worker. And um, by the way, this was also the main reason for the fame of the Shirdi Sai Baba, in fact, because even uh, Shirdi Sai Baba was, in fact, a charismatic that is, he was uh, a saint that was considered um, uh, capable of uh, offering to his uh, followers, to his disciples, both bukti and mukti, as they used to say. That is, both worldly enjoyments, that is, uh, health and prosperity, as well as liberation from uh, the cycle of rebirths and redeaths. So, in a way, this also ties the Satya Sai Baba and Shirdi Sai Baba with the Dattatreya issue that you mentioned, because, of course, um, most Indians, most Hindus believe that both Shirdi Sai Baba and later devotees of Satya Sai Baba also think that both gurus, in fact, um, are were our reincarnations or manifestations, better said, avatars, manifestations or descents on earth 
of the god Dattatreya that is considered a kind of eternal avatara, the kind of uh, exemplary guru, yogin, and avatara all in one. So as you said, the, the, the figure of Dattatreya with the three heads is very, very popular, ubiquitous all over, all over, especially Maharashtra, but he's also very popular in the whole of South India. So um, devotees regard both Shirdisai and Satyasai as um, avatars of Adatta or Dattatreya. Um, so before asking uh, a question particular to the book, I can't help but ask a little bit more about this Dattatreya figure. You say some fascinating things in one of the later chapters of your book about uh, the potential, what I think of as Puranicization uh, of this figure. C- could you say a, a bit about that now in terms of who this figure is or how they're presented in the Puranas or perhaps about your conjecture that, you know, perhaps this was originally a tantric deity. Could you tell us a bit about um, well, Dattatreya uh, yeah. well, is originally a Puranic uh, deity. Uh, the Markandeya Purana and Bhagavata Purana have important, significant tales about, about him. He is presented as a great uh, lord of yoga and uh, teaching yoga to his disciple Alarka, for instance. He's also considered as the kind of uh, prototypical teacher or guru. And uh, he was uh, soon uh, viewed uh, as one of the many uh, descents on earth, avatars of Vishnu. In fact, in, in the Bhagavata Purana particularly, he is listed in a list of the 22 avatars of Vishnu. So uh, although he's not in the famous list of the 10 major avatars, still Datta or Dattatreya, as he's called, um, is still considered a, a descent of, uh, of Vishnu. Uh, the name means that he comes from Rishi Atri because Atri was his father. So he is the given to Atri. He was given as a boon to Rishi Atri. And that's uh, where the name comes, Datta or Dattatreya. Datta meaning given is the past participle. So uh, um, this figure becomes more and more important in the Marathi cultural area in Maharashtra, uh, especially during the Middle Ages, the Middle period, the Middle Age period, particularly from the 12th century, I would say, with the emergence of uh, important uh, movements of ascetics like the Mahanubhavas, but also the Varkari. And finally, um, what uh, makes uh, Datta or Dattatreya perhaps uh, the most popular deity in Maharashtra is a 16th century text known as Guru Charitra, uh, which uh, presents the life of two saints, uh, Sripada Srivallaba and Narasiman Sarasvati, who are considered to be the first two historical avatars of Datta. Now, this text, uh, known as Guru Charitra, which means the life story of the gurus, of the teachers, has been uh, very, very popular along the centuries. It's still very important and very popular. And it is precisely the Guru Charitra and these two seminal saints that has given rise to the so-called Datta Sampradaya, that is the tradition of the Datta or Dattatreya followers, which has also many sub-branches because it has expanded along along the centuries and it's still alive and well. And there are various uh, offshoots and branches of the Datta Sampradaya, not only in Maharashtra, but also in neighboring states. 
so the cult of uh, data within the data sampradaya, but also more popularly uh, as an icon in and of itself with its own temples is very widespread throughout, throughout Maharashtra. I would say uh, he's uh, with the Ganapati, with Ganesha, he's probably one, the uh, most uh, uh, revered or popular deity in, uh, in Maharashtra. And this perhaps is also the reason why a particular saint like Shirdi Sai Baba uh, was assimilated to him. And also later on, uh, eventually even Satya Sai Baba Puttaparthi was assimilated to Datta. Because even in the Datta cult, he's famous for um, performing all sorts of uh, chamatkar, that is miracles, and um, of, as I said, um, granting both uh, um, worldly enjoyments as well as, um, as liberation, uh, moksha or mukti. So there are various reasons theologically uh, for linking um, Dattatreya to these, uh, to these uh, saints of modern and contemporary India, or at least Hindus uh, have, have assimilated them to the icon of Dattatreya. Thank you. Thank you for indulging the Purana question. Well, it's one of my primary fields of research. And um, of the Puranas, the, the Markandeya is the one I've spent the most time with. Uh, my work primarily is on the Devi Mahatmya and the Sanskrit epics, but uh, the Markandeya Purana, uh, uh, above and beyond the presence of the Devi Mahatmya, the Markandeya Purana I find utterly fascinating. There's something there that I can't quite put my finger on. So thank you for indulging that question. Now that we've set the stage and we've talked about the avatar, um, the title of the book is The Hagiographer and the avatar. So uh, who's the hagiographer? What's the book about? Uh, well, uh, I tried to look uh, at um, the life and teachings of Satya Sai Baba from a different angle. That is, I focus on uh, the hagiographer, that is uh, uh, this figure of uh, Narayan Kasturi, who was uh, an eminent intellectual, a professor, and uh, a really uh, remarkable figure, also especially a novelist and a humorist, in fact, um, who in 1948 became a follower of devotee of, of Satya Sai Baba. Uh, so uh, Narayana Kasturi in 1948 was uh, uh, around 50, and he became a devotee of a very young guru who was only in his 20s which uh, is also kind of uh, curious. But uh, anyway, um, Kasturi was a very religiously inclined person. Uh, he was uh, in the mainstream of a Vivekanandian outlook on religion. In fact, he had been a very close devotee to Ramakrishna and Vivekananda. He was part and parcel of the Ramakrishna mission for many years. At a certain point, however, he, um, he got... Um, uh, into the the, the Satya Sai, um, uh, in a way, network of things. That is, he 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 had darshan of of uh, Satya Sai Baba in Bangalore back in July, I think, 1948, and that was in a way what changed his life because uh, he became an ardent devotee um, of Satya Sai Baba and uh, ended up living at his ashram and spending practically his whole second life in a way uh, at, at his feet at Puttaparthi. And in fact, he became uh, his secretary, his right-hand man, and 
the, the main hagiographer, that is, he wrote what is considered to be uh, the sort of Bible or Guru Charitra, if you wish, of all uh, Satya Sai Baba devotees, this, um, this text in four parts or installments, which is called Satyam Shivam Sundaram, which presents the life of Satya Sai Baba from uh, his birth up to the year 1979, actually. Um, and uh, in fact, it was Satya Sai Baba himself who on their, their first meeting uh, asked him or told him that he would write uh, his own Jiva Charitra, his own, the, the life of the, the, the book of his life. And he was really startled at this, at this observation uh, because he really didn't know anything about the saint, the young Satya Sai at that very first meeting. But uh, in fact, it came to be true, and uh, he became uh, the saint's um, right-hand man. And, uh, and uh, I would say he lived uh, from 19, uh, let's say 1950 up to his death, which uh, happened in 1987. Practically, he lived his whole life day by day uh, with uh, Satya Sai Baba, spending many hours with him every day. So he was a, a major figure in the movement. And uh, I'm in this book, I try to look at Satya Sai Baba through, um, through Kasturi, through his uh, books, uh, through his uh, main hagiography, and also through all the various activities that as secretary at the ashram, he, he, he dealt with and he organized and so he was a major, major figure. And since nobody had really um, focused on, on Kasturi's figure um, before, I thought that this was uh, most interesting to do. Does the book primarily illumine the hagiographer, the avatar, or both? I think both, in the sense that I follow the life of Narayan Kasturi from birth to death. So also before he became a devotee of Satya Sai Baba in order to contextualize where he came from, uh, who he was, uh, what were his activities and, uh, and religious feelings and culture overall. And of course, when he becomes a devotee and a follower of Satya Sai, his life changes. And uh, by studying his, uh, his production, his literary production, because after all, Narayan Kasturi was, was first and foremost a literateur, and uh, he, he wrote extensively uh, both prior to his meeting Satya Sai as a novelist and after meeting him as a devotee. So his production, especially uh, Satyam Shivam Sundaram, the main hagiography, but also his other books on the Guru Puttaparthi are fundamental in order to try to understand uh, the Guru's figure. Because, in fact, uh, Kasturi was uh, a, a theologian uh, in and of itself, in, in, in and of himself. And so uh, studying Kasturi's works and theology is a way to also get in touch uh, with what was uh, Satya Sai Baba's own perception of himself or the way he wanted to be presented because the two uh, were strictly uh, interacting among themselves and Kasturi would not do anything without the guru's permission but at the same time he had in a way the freedom to deepen and his theological understanding of the saint 
having got his approval through his many books. So in a way, the two of them contributed to the creation of a sort of unified canon of what it, it entailed to uh, be a devotee of Satya Sai Baba, and more importantly, uh, what Satya Sai Baba thought about himself theologically. And so, in a way, uh, publicized widespread this kind of uh, gospel of Satya Sai in terms of a cosmopolitan cult uh, in India and even beyond India. Because what is important to notice is that although Kasturi, um, before knowing Satya Sai, wrote in Kannada mainly, uh, after uh, meeting Satyasai and becoming his secretary, um, shifted to English and wrote all practically all of his books on the Guru in English, precisely to to spread this uh, this uh, movement and uh, to make it more and more international. Could you say a bit more about Satyasai Baba's? Um, influence over his own hagiography the extent to which he was curating or 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 or, or um yeah controlling the narrative in some sense to be sure he was controlling the narrative but at the same time i think there was also um an influence of kasturi in a way over satyasai although to be sure uh, Satyasai controlled um, whatever uh, Kasturi did or, 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 or wrote, uh, still uh, there was a kind of uh, interesting mechanism there uh, of the kind of interchange between saint and, and, um, and hagiographer, which is another most interesting issue because, as you know, um, often hagiographers or the main hagiographers write about the lives of the saints they're interested in after their, their death. In many cases, we read uh, these accounts of the lives of saints from people who write about them. Uh, many of them, of course, are devotees. In fact, these are hagiography, hagiographies, but um, after, after the saint passed, passed away. Here we have a case of uh, a hagiographer that was inspired by the guru who wrote about him uh, extensively for around 30 years and who had uh, um, daily uh, link with him. And um, so it is a very interesting hermeneutical circle in a way because uh, they both shared a kind of Vivekanandian neo-Hindu uh, context and outlook. So in a way, uh, I, I would say that they were, they were very similar, in fact, and uh, even prior uh, to becoming a devotee of Satyasai, in a way, Kasturi shared that same cultural and religious um, perspective. So it was easy for him to shift in a way from Ramakrishna to Satya Sai Baba, it was not a big, it was not a big, uh, uh, I mean, uh, uh, step after all. And, uh, and Satya Sai Baba himself, uh, in a way, uh, shared that, that whole uh, neo-Hindu Vivekananda outlook. What do you think the hagiography accomplished? What work did it do or does it do um, and, uh, and also maybe comment on what do you think its intent was, whether or not those align or not, or, you know, what does it accomplish or, or, or what was, what was it intended to accomplish? 
Well, what he wanted to accomplish was to present Satya Sai Baba as the avatar of the age. And uh, being a post-sectarian figure that uh, could be uh, palatable and acceptable by all faiths uh, beyond beyond the Hindu the Hindu um, religion, and in a way uh, universalizing his figure by presenting him in a way as the um, consummation of Christianity, of Buddhism, of Judaism, and of course of Islam and Hinduism. In a way, Kasturi, Kasturi's aim was to universalize Satya Sai Baba as the God-man uh, for, for all, for the whole of mankind, beyond sectarian dogmas and uh, institutionalized religions. And um, so uh, theologically, uh, even the figure of Datta, in a way, uh, he utilized as a tool for, in a way, transcending even the Hindu roots of Satya Sai and of Datta himself in a kind of uh, uh, spiritual uh, impulse or uh, effort to present him as a kind of uh, universal savior and avatara beyond uh, Hinduism or, or India. Uh, and this is the reason why he, uh, he wrote his um, Satyam Shivam Sundaram and all his other books uh, in English, uh, fundamentally. And this project, of course, was shared by Satya Sai, so that uh, Satyam Shivam Sundaram, that is the major opus of Kasturi that is regarded still nowadays by all followers as the, the Bible for all Satya Sai devotees, uh, Satyam Shivam Sundaram uh, presents the life of, uh, of the saint from his birth up to 79, which is a kind of a presentation of uh, uh, the major happenings uh, in uh, Satya Sai Baba's life. But of course, uh, the miraculous element is all over so that it's practically impossible to separate the... Um, the supernatural or the miraculous element from uh, the presentation of uh, the biography uh, of, um, of, uh, of the Guru's life. So it's really a, a mishra, an, an inextricable mish, mixture of, um, of, um, of devotion, of uh, miraculous accounts, and, um, and of history, and of... And of um, uh, of his um, biography, uh, as as any hagiography is, after all. So, um, in this sense, uh, I mean, it is not very different from many other uh, charitras or hagiographer hagiographical accounts uh, of modern and contemporary India. But I think the project was precisely, I mean, the agenda was that of presenting Satya Sai Baba as a cosmopolitan post post sectarian. Uh, master guru uh, that could be um, appreciated and uh, followed and uh, loved um, throughout uh, the world beyond beyond uh, one being Christian, Muslim, or Hindu for for that matter. So this was basically the project. Was that agenda Kasturi's or um, Sai Baba's or both? I think both, absolutely. Both they both share this uh, this uh, this focus, 
and this agenda. I think uh, uh, in this sense, they collaborated with one another and reinforced one another. Um, Satya Sai Baba through his uh, daily miracles and charisma and through his darshans and many discourses and, uh, and teachings and, and uh, Kasturi mainly as a theologian and as a biographer of, of the saint. So the two reinforced each other, but I really, I think that to understand Satya Sai, um, it is absolutely essential to, to dive deep in, in Narayana Kasturi's life and, uh, and uh, literary production. What do you make of, or how do you account for, um, um, how to say, Kasturi's um, draw, the, his, 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 um, this, this journey of, 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 of meeting this fairly young guru at the time, and um, in short order, giving his life to that individual, uh, becoming a, a, presumably a close confidant, a bhakta, devotee, um, um, a, a, an officiary, like a, you know, a, a secretary. You know, what do you make of that? Well, that was a big break, in fact, in Kasturi's life. It, it happened at the time of a crisis, which I think is, uh, is significant. That is, um, um, as I was saying, Kasturi was always a very religiously inclined person. He was part of the Ramakrishna mission, and he shared that uh, Vivekananda outlook uh, and, and culture. So he was pretty much uh, part and parcel of his own times, of course, and um, he was very much into the Ramakrishna, the Ramakrishna mission and activities. At a certain point, however, um, two major things happened that um, determined the crisis in his life. Uh, and that was the death of his uh, of one of his sons. In fact, uh, um, he he got typhoid. And it was a very traumatic, uh, of course, experience for him and the whole family was a tragedy and that uh, in a way um, uh, determined a big change in him. And the other factor was um, um, the marrying of the marriage of his uh, of his daughter that uh, he tried to organize and uh, he had all sorts of problems in doing this and finally um the 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 bridegroom he he he, he selected eventually um he he succeeded in 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 having him uh, uh, marry his daughter and uh, he turned to be uh, linked to to satya sai baba because their family was devoted to satya sai baba so uh, he got uh, in a way um linked to Satya Sai Baba through the marriage issue of his daughter. And at, at, in the beginning, he was uh, totally uh, against uh, Satya Sai Baba because uh, miracles usually were not viewed, uh, and I mean, uh, were, were not considered important or viewed benignly by the Ramakrishna mission. In fact, Vivekananda was very harsh uh, concerning uh, uh, God-man's death emphasized the miraculous and, and uh, the Ramakrishna mission has always been very, very somber regarding, uh, regarding these issues. So in, in the beginning, he was uh, even against the idea of meeting this, uh, this young guru. 
uh, and um, so uh, on various occasions he he refused to go see him. But eventually, uh, it so happened that I would I would say out of curiosity, uh, he finally decided to go take a look and 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 meet this young uh, Swami in Bangalore. That, uh, as I said, happened in July 1948, and this uh, meeting was really. Um, uh, fundamental for him. In fact, it was actually the second meeting. It was not really the one very first meeting, but in any case, it was the first occasion when he was close to him and could have an interaction also beyond the darshan. That is, he could have uh, even a short conversation with the young, the young Swami. And this was really um, something uh, extraordinary for him because it was... Um, uh, a fundamental experience that shattered all his doubts and criticisms, and he became really uh, a bhakta of, of Satya Sai Baba, I would say, precisely at that very uh, uh, meeting in Bangalore, and uh, from 1948, his whole life changed, and uh, uh, he, he decided eventually to transfer himself uh, to to live in Puttaparthi. Uh, first, he organized the marriage of his of his daughter Padma uh, in Puttaparthi, following the Guru's instructions that um, she could get married in Puttaparthi. And uh, and later on, he he decided to live there with his family, and uh, became uh, an inmate of the ashram from the early fifties and uh, for the rest of his life. Fascinating. Do you want to say a bit about the structure of the book? Well, as I said, in the book follows um, Kasturi's life. So the first chapter is dedicated to is dedicated to the early formative years of Kasturi, up to the time when he first meets Satya Sai Baba, and his life is in a way transformed. Then I focus uh, on. Um, his um, major work, that is um, Satyam Shivam Sundaram, that had a long period of gestation and preparation, many, many years of dedicated research by Kasturi, who after all was a professor of history in university at the time. So um, as I said, Kasturi was a brilliant intellectual, uh, a great humorist. And he, in, fact, in fact, he was a, a a very popular figure of Kannada literature. Uh, even to this day, uh, Kasturi's book, books in Kannada are extremely popular. He wrote extensively in, in Kannada. But so in second and third chapters, I, I, I look at this um, main uh, work of his, Satyam Shivam Sundaram, that is uh, divided in, in four parts. So in chapter two, I basically look at the first two parts. And in chapter three, I look at parts three and four. Um, then I present in a further chapter, um, I present uh, his other works concerning, concerning the Guru of Puttaparthi. This is chapter four. Chapter five has um, an interview I was able to um, record with Kasturi uh, in, uh, back in November of 85 just two years before he died. Kasturi had a long life. Uh, he was born in 1897 on Christmas day and he died on August 14 of 1987. So when I interviewed him in November 85, 
Uh, he was very old, of course, he was very frail, but we had a very nice and long conversation. In fact, um, uh, during that trip, I had been for several weeks in Shirdi, interviewing old villagers of Shirdi for my, for my BA thesis, as I was telling you in the beginning, and then went to Puttaparthi because I also wanted to interview people about Satya Sai Baba, and I ventured to meet and have some long conversations with Kasturi. So chapter five is dedicated to a presentation of these materials, the, the, this interview and uh, an, an analysis of, um, of uh, his words and the conversations we had, especially uh, seeing Kasturi as a, as a theologian and also the Datatreya paradigm that in fact is basic to this interview as well. So then um, following this, uh, I precisely present uh, Satya Sai in the light of Dattatreya, that is taking the theological presentation of Kasturi and in a way expanding it and trying to understand it, probing it uh, further. So chapter six is dedicated to a presentation of the Dattatreya theology concerning, uh, I would say the Satya Sai Baba movement because I consider both Shirdi Sai as a predecessor and Satya Sai as, as the contemporary one. Um, then chapter seven is the closing years of Kasturi's life. So uh, the last years of his life uh, where um, various issues uh, are important. Uh, he writes some, uh, I mean, he has uh, some two, three final books uh, very important that he writes uh, around the, these late last years of his life. And, uh, and I try to present a narrative of his last days uh, because they are important also to understand uh, the significance of Kasturi within the ashram and for all the devotees and the, the Satya Sai organization. And finally, I have an epilogue where I kind of uh, try to have a balance of Casturi's uh, Casturi's um, uh, life and activities, and um, trying to argue that uh, the major issues that uh, he was involved with, his legacy, in other words, lived and lives on. And I tackled the issues of darshana. Um, I tackled the issue of mass mediatic darshana in particular. Uh, the issue of, um, of seva, um, which is very important in the movement, that is service, uh, which is, um, I would say, the most important essential element of the teaching of both Sai Babas, that is service to, to, to humanity through schools, education, hospitals, and many other activities. And of course, the third element, which has to do with uh, this universal theological message, this universalism, uh, which uh, was already there in Shirdi Sai Baba, especially through the Hindu Islamic integrative mysticism. But of course, with the Puttaparthi Baba uh, becomes uh, even more universalized in a perspective uh, that goes, as I was saying, be beyond even institutionalized religions, a kind, a kind of post-sectarian movement and, and, and devotion. So I try to, to uh, investigate the links between the two sides, but also the differences and the development theologically that takes place uh, moving from one to the other, precisely uh, by looking at Kasturi's, um, 
Kasturi's works and um, and narratives. What most um, surprised you or um, stayed with you in terms of your study of Kasturi? Well, to tell you the truth, what what originally prompted the book were, uh, were precisely these conversations, this, these interviews I had with him, because for many years I had just them lying here in my on, on my desk and I had not really made much use of them. And uh, it eventually dawned on me that um, these materials were precious because after all, they were kind of one of the last testimonies of Casturi. And I thought that they, were, they, they needed to be um, uh, studied in depth and, and, uh, and, uh, and shared and made, and made available. So uh, that, in a way, was what prompted uh, this, uh, this book on Casturi, because um, uh, working on these conversations, I realized the import of his theology and the importance, again, of the Tatreya within this whole, this whole uh, perspective. And so I, I started planning uh, this um, this study, which took uh, several years, by by working on on the life uh, uh, of Casturi from the beginning, and trying to see uh, throughout his life and uh, by by probing into his literature um, the way in which he appropriated uh, in a way the guru and presented him. To, to the vast public of devotees or people interested in Sai Baba, because after all, millions of people have read Satyam Shivam Sundaram or the books of Kasturi. Kasturi is uh, like a legend for, for all bhaktas and devotees, both in India and abroad, so that his importance in a way uh, was second only to the, to the gurus. Uh, and and uh, uh, Kasturi was considered to be in a way the mediator between Satya Sai Baba and, and, and the followers. So he, in this sense, he was a, a, an extremely important figure and a remarkable figure to study and to focus upon. So uh, having said this, of course, I would have never ventured into this uh, book if the production of Kasturi had not been in English because uh, I could have never done this um, if he had written in, in Telugu or Kannada, because these are languages that I, I mean, I, 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 I took some lessons and I have kind of a kind of introductory background in Telugu, but I cannot actually read it fluently or, or speak it. So I ventured into this project because I thought I could, uh, uh, in fact, uh, uh, approximated through the medium of English precisely because this was the language that Kasturi decided uh, very consciously to, to utilize in order to expand the fame and, and uh, greatness of his, of his hero. Fascinating. Um, with respect to the interview, uh, that you include in chapter five. Um, they're also included in another work of yours. You want to say a bit about that? Well, um, the point is that, um, again, during the COVID uh, pandemic, uh, I had all these uh, old interviews that I had, that I had done in Shirdi back in 85. And uh, I had also never published them separately. I had written a book on the life and teachings of Shirdi Sai Baba back in the 90s. And I had utilized partially these, these testimonies, but I had never um, 
never thought of publishing them in their entirety. So what dawned on me is, was that uh, after all, these interviews I had taken in Shirdi were with old villagers of the, of the Shirdi saint. There were the last testimonies of people who had actually seen and had an exchange with the Shirdi Sai Baba because I was able to find seven, seven or eight people uh, living in Shirdi and the whereabouts that uh, had actually seen and, 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 and talked to, to, to Shirdi Sai Baba. So uh, what I decided to do uh, was um, to, uh, in a way, uh, transcribe all the interviews um, in, in English and uh, have them preceded by uh, excerpts from my diary of the time so as to contextualize these interviews uh, and present what had been my fieldwork originally back in October, November 85. So even to present... Uh, in a way, what uh, Shirdi looked like back in the mid of the 80s, uh, Shirdi has uh, grown uh, tremendously in these uh, three decades. And uh, today is uh, one of the major pilgrimage sites of India, as you know. But back in the, in the 80s, um, things were very different. So I decided to, to um, publish these, um, uh, these transcripts and also the original audio recordings uh, and uh, I published them through an open access uh, um, press, uh, which is the Venice University Press of my university. And so uh, it's really for free and anybody can download these uh, conversations, this book and the various audio recordings of um, the various people I interviewed day by day. And uh, the Kasturi uh, interview being part, uh, the final part of this uh, whole set, I decided to, to include that as well, being in a way kind of uh, comprehensive of, of, of all the, 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 the meetings and interviews I had, I had done uh, for that uh, field research. So I just hope that uh, both uh, people who are interested in the Sai Baba movement or devotees of, of Shirdi Sai especially might be interested in hearing the voices of these old villagers and perhaps um, uh, read uh, also the transcripts of, of uh, their words. And um, so uh, this other book is called Oral Testimonies on Sai Baba and uh, is precisely this account of my field research back uh, in 1985 in, in Maharashtra, basically, and then uh, for some time in Andhra. Fantastic. Um, we will- I can, include... I, can send you, I can send you the link if you're interested, uh, or perhaps you already have it because I had sent you the link to this other book. If any of the people who are listening to, to us uh, would be interested in, 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 um, in viewing it or downloading it. it, it's for free, so anybody can, can download it. Indeed, I was, uh, I was just uh, about to say that we will, in fact, include the link in the podcast notes. So anyone who's listening to the podcast on whatever platform, just, uh, just click on the link in the notes and you will have that uh, fascinating publication at your fingertips. Excellent. Um, thank you very much for appearing on the podcast today. Thanks a lot. Thanks a lot to you. Bye. <laughs>
For those listening, we have been speaking with Dr. Antonio Rigopoulos uh, of um, the University of Venice on a fascinating new publication, The Hagiographer and the Avatar, The Life and Works of uh, Narayan Kasturi. Um, uh, and I'm, of course, your host, Dr. Raj Balkaran. Uh, you can find out more about my work at rajbalkaran.com or study with me online at courses.rajbalkaran.com. Until next time, stay safe, stay sane, uh, keep listening, uh, and keep contemplating uh, avatars such as this. Take care. <laughs>